Welcome to the Advent Houston podcast. At Advent, our mission is to embrace, embody, and extend the grace of Jesus Christ to the Texas Medical Center, Rice University, and the surrounding neighborhood. We're glad that you're here with us today. Well, good morning. It's really good to be with uh, you all this morning. My name's Andres. Uh, for those of you that might not know me, I serve as one of the pastors at Christ the King Presbyterian Church, and i um, really excited for you all to be in this new facility. Uh, we um, constantly, consistently pray for you all, for your pastor, for your church, and it's really exciting for me to get to visit you all here this morning. Uh, the scripture reading this morning comes from Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. It can be found there in your bulletin. It'll also be behind me here on the screen. So hear God's word to you this morning. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much this morning, and I echo all the prayers of thanksgiving that your people have given up to you. Thank you for Advent Presbyterian Church, for Taylor, their staff, and the amazing congregation that has moved into this new location. I'm so excited for um, the new meeting space, the new neighborhood, because all of that means new possibilities, new people who will be closer, who will enter these facilities and hear the gospel of grace. I pray that you would be with me this morning as I attempt to preach from your word. Would you transform our hearts and lighten our minds and allow it to bear much fruit in our lives, in our families, and in our city. Pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, So, you know, I've known uh, your pastor, Taylor, for quite some time. Uh, we go back uh, many years. Not only uh, Taylor and I worked together, so we were co-workers at Christ the King for a couple of years before he was sent to plant uh, this church, uh, but we've also been friends for, for a long time. Um, but it was about probably seven or eight years ago that Taylor and I got to spend some time really getting to know each other and, and be together, we actually both got ordained at the same time. So, you know, to maybe let you in on the process of ordination uh, for a little bit. So in our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, or PCA, um, it, it can be quite a lengthy uh, time. You know, the process of ordination can be around a year, sometimes more. It starts with an internship that you have to take at, at a church. Then you have responsibilities you have to fulfill. There are requirements, you know, pastoral duties and responsibilities that you have to begin to exercise. Then after that, at some point when you feel you are ready, there are written exams that you have to submit to uh, what's called a committee of our presbytery, our regional network of churches made up of guys, eight to ten guys. Then there are oral exams. So you have to sit before this presbytery where they ask you, to put it nicely, grill you uh, more realistically. Questions, right? And then after, you know, assuming you pass the written and the oral exams and you have to stand, you know, we call it before the floor of the presbytery, 50 to 60 pastors and elders who, again, then they're able to ask you any question that they want about 
theology, the Bible, church history, uh, sacraments, you know, things like our church government. And assuming you go through all of that, then, you know, they'll give you the green light and the right hand of fellowship and you can be ordained. Quite a lengthy process, an arduous process, and it can obviously be an intimidating process. So right around the time we're going through all of this, I learned that Taylor, whom I'd met before but hadn't, you know, really uh, engaged or spent a lot of time with, is going to be going through this process with me. So I reached out to Taylor because uh, he just seemed really smart and really wise, older than me. It's his birthday today, uh, by the way. And so um, I reached out to him. I said, hey, um, would you be willing to maybe spend some time together in between our meetings and between committees or even the day of? And just let's review the exams together. Let's kind of, you know, maybe you can give me advice and counsel on what to say or, you know, let's grill each other. Let's ask ourselves questions. He was super generous. And he said, yeah, of course, love to do that. And so we would spend hours, you know, before committee, before the exams. And just, you know, I, like I remember those times sitting at Starbucks or sitting, you know, in a, in a church office somewhere. And he just gave, gave, giving me all of this counsel and all this advice on maybe what to say, how to, how to phrase in the answer, how to shorten my answers in a particular kind of way. And I, I think I can really say that had it not been for Taylor's wise advice and counsel, I'm not sure I would have gotten ordained or certainly would have probably spent a lot more trouble and time going through that process. Now, wouldn't it be great to have a tailor in different areas of our lives, people that you can run to to give you answers, to give you wisdom, advice, and counsel, maybe even to critique you um, whenever you need it? Wouldn't it be great to have people that you can run to uh, to ask them for wise advice about marriage, what to do when you're going through an argument, uh, what to do whenever your teenager rebels, what career choice to make or how to handle a dispute at work, what career to choose, what major to choose in school. Wouldn't it be great to have the kind of people that you can trust, that have good character, and that you can trust that whatever advice they give you will actually be a good one, a wise one. See, the reality is we all need people like that in our lives. We all need people that, that we can trust and that we can trust their advice as well. Not only trust their advice and their counsel, but also people that can challenge us, maybe even criticize us to help us grow and mature. But how do you know who to listen to? And how do you know what advice to listen to from particular people? Well, that's what today's text is about. And that's what today's text is actually here to help us to think about. Today's text is really all about listening to advice. Now, the reality is we don't just need other people's counsel. We don't just need other people's advice. What we really need, desperately need, fundamentally need is God's counsel. Wouldn't it be great if whenever you're going through a problem, have a doubt or a question, you could just ring up God, say, God, what do I do about this? How do I go about this issue? Well, what today's text tells us is this. Here's the point of the message. Here's the point of today's sermon. Is that God speaks to his people through the counsel of others. God does speak. He does give us advice and counsel, but he does it 
through the counsel of others. So we'll look at uh, this morning's text uh, through three points. First, we'll look at the way of the fool. Second, we'll look at the way of the wise. And third, the cure to our foolish hearts. So the way of the fool, the way of the wise, and then the cure, C-U-R-E, to our foolish hearts. So first, the way of the fool. Now, in the Bible, you're going through this um, sermon series through the book of Proverbs. So in the book of Proverbs specifically, but in the Bible as a whole, there are basically, um, there's two types of people that the Bible talks about. Uh, There are those that are called the wise, and there are those that are called the fool or foolish. Now, it's important for you to know that those two categories do not necessarily imply or correlate with being saved or not saved, right? So don't think, you know, the wise means that they're saved and, and the foolish means that they're not saved. Not, not necessarily, right? Um, biblically speaking, to be a fool means to not seek wisdom, to not look for wisdom, to not look to, to grow and to mature in life, right? Foolishness, then, is a, what begins as a pattern of making unwise, foolish um, decisions that then becomes a lifestyle, right, a foolish lifestyle that then eventually becomes what verse 15 here calls the way of the fool. It's like a road that you take that ultimately can only lead in one direction, Right, which is destruction and, and chaos in your life. Now listen again to what verse 15 says, the first half of verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. See, <clears throat> the problem with the fool, if you want to look at another definition of the fool, is that they do not listen to others they only listen to themselves. The fool does not listen to others, to the counsel, to the advice, to the wisdom of others. They only listen to themselves. The, pro- the Proverbs say that the fool is right in his own eyes. Now, there's other passages all throughout the Proverbs, actually, where we are warned against this, against being wise in our own eyes. For example, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 7 say this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, And do not lean on your own understanding. Be wise, not in your own eyes. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't be wise just according to yourself. Now, Proverbs 15 says something really important, though, about this foolishness. And that is, where does this come from? Where does foolishness, right? What begins is making bad decisions that becomes a pattern, that becomes a lifestyle, that just becomes a way of living, uh, the way of the fool. Where does that come from? Where does it start? Um, there, there are a couple of possibilities, right? Uh, maybe you make bad decisions, foolish decisions, out of ignorance. You, you just don't know, right? Um, I'm foolish in certain areas of life. For example, I really hope that NASA never comes knocking on my door asking me to go to space because I know nothing about 
astronomy. I know nothing about rockets or science or math. Those are just not my strengths, right? And so all of us are ignorant, foolish in certain areas of our life. We can all grow in certain. That's not the foolishness that the Proverbs are talking, is talking about here, right? We're, we're all ignorant. Foolishness can also, though, bad decisions can come or arise out of fear. Maybe we are afraid of letting others see our weaknesses, see that we don't know everything, that we are not as smart as sometimes we project ourselves to be. And so we simply decide not to allow others in, not to ask questions because we don't want to seem foolish, dumb, unwise, unintelligent. Again, that's not the, the source of the foolishness that Proverbs 12, 15 is talking about. So what is it talking about? Which well, right there in the text. The fool is wise in his own eyes. See, <clears throat> the source, the real source of this kind of foolishness is actually a prideful heart. It comes from pride. Now, the United States... Okay, and this is true in in a lot of Western countries, but in the United States in particular, it is very difficult to find community, to find friendships. Um, This is true, by the way. um, uh, You can look up research statistics about this in, in Houston in particular. We live very isolated, individual lives. And and. Frankly, we're proud of it, right? Houston is a get-it-done city, and we're proud of that fact. We pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Uh, we saw it a couple of years going through Harvey. We, we're independent, self-sufficient people in the city. Um, Robert Putnam, a sociologist, uh, a couple of decades ago, it might have been the 80s or early 90s, wrote a what's become kind of a standard textbook well-known called Bowling Alone, where he talks about the isolated private lives that we live as Americans uh, here in the States. And this is what he, this is what he wrote uh, back then, and which I still think it's true today. He said, most Americans watch friends rather than having friends. For the first two-thirds of the 20th century, a powerful tide bore Americans into ever deeper engagement in the life of their communities. But a few decades ago, silently, without warning, that tide reversed, and we were overtaken by a treacherous rip current. Now, he then goes on to describe the sources of um, our individuality, right, which is several centuries in the making. But here's, here's the point. We live private lives. We live separated lives. We live isolated lives. You can go uh, decades living in a house without ever talking to or getting to know your neighbors. I know people who have gone 20, 30 years and have never once crossed the street to meet their neighbors. That's the, now, I said this is peculiar to the United States. It's not, you know, we're, we're not the only ones who live like this, but it is peculiar to Western societies. This is not true around the world. Um, my parents are from El Salvador. It's a small, tiny country in Central America, just south of Mexico. Um, 
we, my wife and I, my family and I, my parents went uh, about a month ago to visit for vacation. So we spent about um, two weeks down there, and it was a great time. While we were there, uh, my parents have a home that's down there. Uh, my parents live here. I've got extended fa- Most of my extended family is here, but I've got my grandfather is there. I've got extended family, like cousins, aunts and uncles that still live down there. Many decades ago, my grandfather bought several acres of property. Uh, it was essentially fields, right, cornfields and, and, and wheat and whatnot. That was uh, what he worked in for many decades. So he bought several acres outside of a city. Over time, as he got older, he started to divide them up and then, you know, give um, land to his children, my dad, my aunts, and my uncles, and they all started building homes. My dad's been building his home for a couple of decades down there, thinking that one day he'll retire down there. So we went to go visit. We saw the home. It's like in a ranch. And so what that meant, though, is since my grandfather divided the property up with, you know, his children, we're surrounded by family. You know, we've got my grandfather living next door. We've got an uncle living here, a really close family friend that has known the family for 50 years. We've got aunts and uncles. And so every morning we would wake up, you know, you can imagine this little ranch outside of the city. Every morning there would be people coming in and out of the house. You know, they wouldn't knock. They wouldn't call to let us know, hey, we're coming over. They would just show up. So we'd let them in and, you know, we'd hang out with them. We'd talk and we'd spend several hours doing that. That's just life there. It is impossible to live isolated, private, individual lives like we do here. What that means then, okay, what that means is that because we live these kind of lives, we begin to believe the lie, we believe to think that we actually don't need anyone else, that we are self-sufficient. That we are independent. That sure, people can give us their opinion, but that's all it is. Sure, people can give us their thoughts about my marriage or how I should raise my children or what my educational options are. But that's all it is. It's just somebody's opinion. I can take it or leave it. I don't really need to listen to it. The problem then is that we begin to really think that we are independent. But the reality is that is not how God made us. That is not how we were created to be. That is not how we are hardwired. Putnam in that book, uh, Bowling Alone, says actually we are an anomaly in the U.S., living isolated, private, independent lives. It's right there in Scripture. In the beginning, when God created man, he said it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. And so you see, here is the fundamental problem of the fool, is that he actually does not trust God, doesn't take him at his word, actually begins to think, well, I know more than you, God. I don't need others. Maybe it is good for me to be alone. When was the last time that you listened to someone else's advice? Who are the people that are around you trying to give you counsel about a particular issue or problem? Who have you let in? Are there people around you that you've given them the permission to give you advice and counsel, to challenge you, maybe even to critique some of your ideas? So number one, the way of the fool. Number two, the way of the wise. Now remember, in the Bible, 
there are two types of people. There are the wise and there is the fool. Now, the wise are characterized primarily as those who seek wisdom, as those who long for wisdom, long to grow, to mature. Proverbs 19.20 has this to say, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. To be wise does not mean to be perfect. To be wise does not mean that you only ever make the right decision, that you never make incorrect decisions. That's not what it means to be wise. To be wise means that you seek wisdom, you seek knowledge. It means that you begin to develop a pattern of making a wise decision, then another wise decision, then a foolish decision, but you learn and you grow from it. Next time you make a wise decision and a wise decision. So what began as a wise decision becomes a pattern that then becomes a lifestyle that then becomes the way of the wise, which is what Proverbs wants us as God's people to develop. It's, it doesn't come overnight. It's like a muscle that you have to work out, that you have to develop, that grows with time, with experience, with age, but also with listening to others. Now, there's two characteristics of wise people. Number one, they have a hunger to learn. And number two, they have the discernment to listen. A wise person has a hunger to learn. Humans are not born knowing everything. You know, before... uh, becoming a pastor, actually right around the time I I met Taylor, uh, I uh, worked as a public school teacher. So I was a public school teacher for a couple of years. I taught uh, in HISD and, you know, uh, taught elementary age kids. Whenever I would meet students the first day, I more or less could tell which students were the ones that were going to grow the most that year. There was a student who was eager to learn, eager to grow, who came in knowing that they didn't know it all, they didn't have it all together, but they wanted to learn. They had a thirst for knowledge, for wisdom. And then there was the other student, the know-it-all, the one who came in and didn't actually think they had much to learn from others, including from me, their teacher. Now, It wasn't that one person was smarter than the other. Again, wisdom does not necessarily mean knowledge, that you're smarter than others. You can be the smartest person in a room and make incredibly foolish decisions. We know people like that, don't we? So wisdom does not necessarily equal knowledge. These students weren't necessarily smarter than the other. It's that one of them had a hunger, had a thirst to learn, to grow, to mature, to be wise for wisdom. So number one, the wise have a hunger to learn, but number two, they have the discernment to listen. How do you know who to listen to? Should we just listen to every person that has an advice to give us? Should we just listen to everybody who critiques us? And even then, when we know who to listen to, how do we know which advice is sound? which advice we should actually listen to. Here's a a couple of maybe just uh, practical principles. 
in regards to who to listen to. Number one, think to yourself, does this advice or counsel or criticism lead me to trust in the Lord? Or does it lead me to trust in someone or in something else? Does it lead to peace and to comfort in a situation? Or does it lead to more anxiety and more chaos? Does it lead me to depend more on God or to depend on something else to fix my situation? So that's number one. Number two, ask yourself, who is this advice coming from? What is the character of this person? What is their track record in giving advice? Are they even even living what they're preaching? Does their life reflect the advice, the counsel that they are giving? So if they're giving you wisdom or advice about their marriage, how's their marriage? If they're giving you advice or wisdom about how to raise children, how are their children? So that's number two. Ask yourself, who is this person? What advice are they giving me? But number three, the Proverbs emphasize over and over again that wisdom doesn't come automatically. You can't microwave wisdom. There is no fast track. There are no shortcuts to wisdom. Wisdom is hard to come by. It comes at a heavy price, and it grows over time, over age, and experience. So ask yourself this. Is the counsel that the, or the advice that this person is giving me promising more than it can deliver? Does it sound too easy, too quick, too simple? Because life and its problems are rarely easy. They're never quick, and they're seldom simple. So number two, the way of the wise. Third and last, the cure for a foolish heart. How can we then learn to become wise, to follow the way, the path, the road to wisdom? Well, it's not as easy as simply saying, well, just go and do these things. We know that that actually doesn't work because our hearts are weak. They are feeble. Our hearts are forgetful. Our hearts forget what to do and they too easily follow the way of the fool. See, the fundamental problem of the fool is not that it's not just that they make foolish decisions, unwise decisions. The sin underneath the sin of foolishness is that for the fool, the world revolves around him or her. In other words, the fool lives a self-centered life. They are the center of the world, not anyone else, certainly not God. Psalm 14 talks about the fool. It's a well-known passage that says that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, contrary to what many believe, it's not talking about atheists there. It's not talking about atheism, right? In other words, it's not saying that atheists are fools because they don't believe in God. Atheism, as, as we know it today, in modernity did not exist in antiquity. There was no such concept of non-belief 
in God. That's not what that's talking about. When it says the fool says in his heart there is no God, it means that the fool actually believes that he is the center of the world, not God. He is living as if God didn't exist. He might profess him. He might say he's there, but his life negates him. His life doesn't put God in the center of the world, in the center of his world. He has no authority above himself. He is wise in his own eyes. He leans on his own understanding. He is the center of the world, the king of the universe, the Lord of his decisions or her decisions. But if we're honest, this is actually the fundamental problem, not just of the fool, but of all of us. When is the last time you asked God for his advice? When's the last time you went to God for counsel? When's the last time you asked him for help regarding a problem, an issue, a doubt, or a question? And why don't we do it more frequently? Why is God often the last person we ask for help if we ever get to him? It's because just like the fool, we actually don't trust God. We actually don't trust that he knows what he's doing, that he has the answers, that he can help, that he is all-powerful and all-wise. See, we're all the fools. We all live foolish lives with foolish hearts. Romans 3 says that there is no one who is just, not even one. We all walk down the path, the way of the fools. We might profess God, but like the fool in our hearts, we actually don't believe God. We don't believe in him. We haven't trusted that he really is all wise, that actually has a solution to our problems, that he has an answer, that we can hand over all of our problems to him and he can actually do something about it. We certainly don't think that he cares. Otherwise, we'd run to him more often. So what do we do? What are we supposed to do? Well, we can't fix ourselves. We certainly can't save ourselves. The solution is not to try harder, to try to be better people, to try to make wiser decisions. The cure to our foolish hearts is actually to look to the one who is truly wise, Jesus Was Jesus wise? Yeah, of course he was. Jesus was God, is God in the flesh. Jesus was called a rabbi. He was called a teacher, the wisest person of them all. Even his critics, his enemies, acknowledged Jesus' authority and teaching. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, When people were listening to Jesus teach, it says this, on the Sabbath, he began to teach in a synagogue and many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? And then in Colossians chapter two, the apostle Paul will say that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus, and only Jesus, is infinitely wise. He is all wise. He only made wise decisions. Now, let me ask you this. 
if that is true, which as Christians, we believe that that is true. How did Jesus use that wisdom? How was he as a wise person? What kind of decisions did he make? Well, I'll tell you how he didn't use his wisdom. He didn't use his wisdom to show off. He didn't use his wisdom to beat other people over their heads. Actually, Jesus used his wisdom to do the most foolish thing ever. He died on the cross for us, for sinners, for people who didn't deserve it, for people who didn't ask for it, people who didn't even want it. While we were still enemies, Christ died for us. We didn't deserve for him to die for us, and yet he did it. Jesus did the most seemingly ridiculous, incomprehensible thing ever. In fact, that's exactly what Paul tells the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, the word of the cross, he says, is foolishness to those who are perishing. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Why would Jesus do the most foolish, unwise, incomprehensible, ridiculous thing ever? Why would Jesus, who is infinitely wise, all wise, do something like this? Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8 says that Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient. Obedient to whom? To the Father. Jesus, who was infinitely wise, all wise, who knew all things, who knew what was in the hearts of men, obeyed the Father, listened to the Father, followed the Father's counsel and advice. Jesus, the wise, listened to what the Father told him. He obeyed the Father's voice and he went to the cross. But because Jesus obeyed, because he listened to counsel, we're now saved. You and I will spend eternity looking at the Father in the Father's arms because Jesus, who was infinitely wise, submitted himself became humble, was obedient to the Father, and died for us. 1 Corinthians will then go on to say that for us who are being saved, the word of the cross is actually the wisdom of God. Why do we so often not listen to others? It's because that if, if we think we think that by doing that, by listening to others, by listening to advice, or by asking for help, we'll show ignorance. We'll get no respect. But Jesus didn't see it that way. Jesus was humble. He obeyed. He obeyed to the point of death, even death on the cross. See, the cure to our foolish heart is not to try harder. It's to trust deeper to trust that Jesus has the answers, that he has provided the cure to our foolish hearts. Run to him. 
He is wise. And James 1 says, if you ask the Father for wisdom, he'll give it to you. Only he can save us from our foolishness and give us the wisdom that we need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have provided the cure to our foolish hearts, to people who did not deserve it, people who did not want it, people who weren't even looking for it. We did not know that we were following the way of the fool. How many of us continue to live lives following that path? Help us, we pray. Not on our own strength. We are weak, Father. We are the foolish ones. We are the helpless ones. And so we ask for your mercy. Help us to trust in Jesus. Help us to grow in wisdom. Help us to leave behind sin and the foolish things that drag us down. Keep our eyes on the perfecter, the author of our faith, Jesus Christ. And help us to grow wiser and wiser unto salvation. Looking to your word through Christ our Lord. Amen.